Hi, welcome back. We're supposed to introduce ourselves, so I am Ashley. And I'm Kyle. Welcome back. You are listening to... Semi-Charmed Kind of Pod. The Semi-Charmed Kind of Pod. We uh, we were dark last week, but we are back back this week, back in action. Yeah. I had, had some... One of my friends was like, um, you completely messed up my vibe for my week because I'm so used to listening to my coffee and listening to you guys and you messed it all up. <laughs> I was like, listen, we've been at this for four months straight now and we're allowed to have a week off. <laughs> I I heard the same thing. Somebody was like, well, I guess my Tuesday night is just a bore now. And I was like, listen, I'm sorry, same. I was like, it's the end of the season. We're allowed one production week. Like, <laughs> Well, and truthfully, I mean, you know, we had the intentions of recording. People get sick. Things happen. Plus, Kyle and I have businesses to run on top of our regular jobs. And it's a lot sometimes. So we appreciate the, you know, respect for our time and stuff like that. But I think... I've been doing so much research for our second season too that I can't wait to like get through this one almost to get to the next one because that one's gonna be next so- season's gonna be lit. Yeah, and I'm gonna. It's so hard not to spoil anything until I we know. get to a, a season finale. <laughs> but <laughs> if you're still hanging in there, just get through season one because <laughs> trial and error, we're gonna kill it the next one. <laughs> oh, absolutely. So- <laughs> you in a little while um but i wanted to know how how is your tiktok algorithm going oh my god awful i'm getting like now i will say one of my recent videos i was able to break over the thousand view threshold Um, but i think that i think that was like two and a half three weeks ago and i've not been able to recreate it since so i'm stuck in that like two still stuck in that like 200 view limbo yeah so are you ever on like the side of witch talk Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so have you seen, like, (laughs) any of the drama that's going on right now with, like, people in lives offering their candle magic services? No. Well, do you want to hear about the tea? (laughs) Yeah, you know, I'm always here for tea. Okay, so there's a lot of people who, you know, do candle magic in lives and you'll, they'll like pop up on your feed. There's like a few very popular people. And I guess some of the witch talk community started to like go into their lives and being like, hey, uh, tell me the correspondence to like the glitter or the sticker. (laughs) Oh, no. Okay. these, These people went feral. Like they were like, get out of my life. How dare you disrespect me? And, it was simple questions, right? Because, like, I would want to know. If I'm yeah. being nervous, like, just tell me. But the one lady, it was so funny. She, like, screen recorded her in this lady's live and was like, hey, um, can you tell me what the sticker means on the outside of a candle? And the girl was like, I'm going to ignore your question if you're going to be disrespectful. And she was like. Um, well, I'm just wondering, like, what kind of craft do you practice? She was like, I'm not a witch. How dare you ask me that? That's so offensive. How dare you? you? Then what are you doing on the live? Manifesting. That's what she called it. She's manifesting for people. Oh, okay. 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 I was like, well, you're also doing candle magic, just so we're clear. Right. <laughs> you're doing an actual service of candle magic. So that's okay. But she blocked her. But it was just like whole thing and the video like circulated around. <laughs> I was like, this is hilarious because I 
I didn't know. I haven't seen it with candle people. I've definitely seen that with the tarot, the t- the live tarot polls where they do like they'll pull like a card. There's one, and I'm not gonna name drop, um, but I've seen some where like it's very much like you said, where it's like they're like berating the viewers, yeah. like if you're gonna do this, then and it's like some of the times they're just asking like what a card means, like it's as clearly somebody that has like no tarot background. Um, yeah, some some of that stuff is really it gives me the ick. Yeah, I just wondered if you were on my side last week, my side of TikTok, because it's so interesting to ask people, like, what do you see on your TikTok? (laughs) There's so many facets out there in the world, but that made my whole week last week that people are shoveling their money at these people to do intention candles. Oh, I I mean, the that's the one thing that blows my mind about TikTok is the, like, it took me a minute for me to fully wrap my brain around that, the whole, like, the, like the gifting um, economy of TikTok and how like all the emojis and stuff are like, that's like pennies and like dollars and like, um, and what is it like the galaxies or something are like hundred, like that's like, that's like a hundred dollars or something like, like $400. And I'm like, Oh, I don't know. And then there's like a lion or something where like a whole lion takes over the screen. Who I don't, I, uh, I don't must be nice. But like you said, you're you're like one of my videos did a thousand views, which is like amazing, right? For us like smaller people. And it's like these people have get hundreds of dollars every live from doing stuff that's not even real. It's so weird to me. <laughs> and I'm I'm gonna be fully transparent and you're gonna know this struggle as the small business. That video yep. that I'm mentioning that did break the thousand views. Yep. It was like a cap cut SpongeBob meme. Why? That that listen, but because I have my TikTok shop up, I got oh. dinged for it being like a commercial use of something. So I got a TikTok shop violation for like the one video that happened to like get decent views. TikTok shop was like, we're going to dock you through you. There's like a point system. And so they ended up like docking me points. <laughs> now you're going to be like off of the algorithm for like another six years. <laughs> um, I no longer have a TikTok shop. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> removed it no I just took it down I'm sick of it I got so when between the music loss and they already severely limit like your music use as a commercial like if you set up like a business profile on TikTok and I'm just so over it and I kind of want to like I want to be stupid to like my stupid little viral songs and like you know what I mean I'm sick of the limitations so I just made it a personal account again sorry come after me yeah, because it's like as a small business, it's like the one little bits of things that we can hold on to is like the content creation. Like, I just want to be creative in this way. And they just refuse to let you be fun. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's the thing that was like really bothering me was that like any if like a song went viral or something and there was like a, a, a viral sound, there was a good chance that I wasn't going to be able to use it. And then like, yeah. and, am I really capitalizing on TikTok then if I'm, you know, like not. I know. Well, we'll definitely drop the links of all of our shops below um, so that way you guys can see them. Because um, really, I don't have a TikTok shop because it's sh- I can't even figure that out. I can't even. Yeah, no, we're we're on Etsy just like you. So it's it'll be one-stop shop for everybody. <laughs> Perfect. But yeah, so good segue. Um, yeah, what are we talking about today? I know we've been away for a while. Um, this one's going to be, uh, I want to say a hard pivot for me, but I feel like I've been coming my like my topics are (laughs) when I tell people what I've been telling people about the podcast and like certain like you know like friends and family already know like what season two is because I'm so excited and like you know what I mean like who cares 
But when I try to explain season one, I'm like, well, Ashley did a really good job of like focusing her season one. My episode season one, my like season one episodes are a little all over the place. It's okay to be ADHD. It's okay. I, You're a creative person. I've been running a supernatural podcast for like ever. And like now that I have one, I am running with it. Which is actually interesting because depending on how you guys will see the second season, it's not supernatural yet again. <laughs> um, There'll be parts of it that are sort of. I would say more, I would say metaphysical. We're going to be very metaphysical next season. That one, but I hear what you're saying. It's all over the place. I get it. Yes, it's going to be very... Um, idea-based, idea I think. But it's fun. Good. It's fun. I'm excited. I love um, it. Okay, so if I said missing 411 to you, does that mean, like, anything? Zero thoughts in my brain. Zero thoughts in your brain. Alright, so um, missing 411 is, like, an umbrella term. Okay. Um, it was coined by uh, an author, David Politis. Okay. And it's basically um, people people going missing in national parks. Creepy. And that's just like a broad overview of it. So it's spearheaded by the aforementioned author, David Politis. He's an investigative reporter, a former police detective, and he's known for reporting on disappearances within national parks. Like now this is like what this man is known for, right? So he starts looking into these cases when he's approached by two park rangers who know that he's an author and they tell him about strange circumstances over the years that involve missing hikers within these national parks. Horrible. So he goes, he's gone on to write 10 books collecting over 1400 cases that fit the profile for what he's, he's coined a missing 411 case. Holy cow. I wish they could see your jaw on the floor right now. Uh Holy cow. So this is the like little profile that he's built of what a missing 411 case is. So there's always a point of separation where the missing person is like separated from their group or the person like th that they were with. Um, it, the, it usually occurs in mid to late afternoon times. It tends to occur near boulder fields. More often than not, it's granite or there's a body of water nearby. Um, there's some sort of weather event that'll happen around the time that they go missing, either like a dust storm, something as simple as like it raining. Uh, a lot of times it'll snow. What? <laughs> um, so then uh, another another factor of like a missing 411, they'll, they'll later be found, the missing person will be found um, in an area that's previously been searched or like in an area that's like miles from where they went missing. Um, or even in an area that they, like, shouldn't have been able to reach, given, like, their current state. Meaning... Okay, go ahead. Meaning a lot of the times, the person that went missing has some sort of, like, illness, a disability, or an injury that they, like, just got, like, on that trip. Another weird thing is that dogs can't track them while they're missing. Why? We don't know. There's so many... There's, like... Are we alien luring here? Um, so I will say at the end of this episode, you're going to have more questions than I have answers for you. Okay. Um, and I will do my best to answer as many answers as, <laughs> or, or, as many questions as I can. Understood. Understood. Um, and then it's one of those things where it's like the body's found in an area that's previously been searched. It's like while key, key into that, the dogs can't track them while they're missing. 
And then it's like all of a sudden the dog will pick up on something that like in the area that they've already been over and then they'll find them. And so all these people are found alive? Not everybody has been. Some people are found alive. Not everybody is found. Some people are found deceased. Some people have been found. There's one guy who like, they call it the melting case. He was like found like I think I think I I think I have it and covered. I wrote this episode so long ago, but I'm pretty sure he's in here. Where like they find him and like pretty much all they find is just like melt his his like body like so decomposed that he's like melted. That's horrifying. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so again, if if something is found, they're often missing personal items or clothing, and it'll be like random. Like they'll have like all of their stuff on, and then like just like their pants are gone, but their shoes and their socks will still be. Yeah, like weird stuff. Um, so unknown cases of death, again, this is assuming that a body is found. Um, a lot of times they'll just be given like, oh, they succumbed to the elements, you know what I mean? But sometimes literally the cause of death will be listed as, we don't know, shoulder shrug. That's freaky. Yeah. Um, so the last like factor of a missing 411 case is the location of where they go missing. So Politis has, uh, coined another term for his missing 401 cases and he calls it geographical clustering he says that there's like these clusters all over the all over the world actually but there's like a bunch within the u.s of course because of all the national parks within the u.s um they tend to happen near each other with uh as little as three cases in an area and as many as over 80 in one location i'm googling this map right now so there's a Santa Fe cluster, cluster. there's a Yosemite cluster, there's a Mount Rainier cluster. Uh, Politis claims to have identified 59 geographically distinct clusters. Oh my gosh. The ones around us are ridiculous. Yeah. And it's so weird. Like if you take the map of the clusters and you just like overlay it with like a map of like national parks, it's like the same map. Remind me never to be a hiker, I can tell you that. <laughs> yeah. So there's certain factors, though, that will exclude somebody, a missing person, from a missing 411 case. Okay. And that is criminal activity. Well, because if they're doing something illegal in, like, the woods and they go missing, chances are something illegal happened. You know what I mean? Like, something, something human probably happened to them. They just call it a missing person or something like that? Yeah, so these are things that would, like, exclude, like, if someone goes missing in the woods, but any of these factors are, like, involved in their missing, then gotcha. the politis is, like, that's not a missing 411 case. So it's criminal activity, evidence of an animal attack. Yeah. Like, if it seems, if it looks like you were mauled by a mountain lion, then you probably just got snatched by a mountain lion off of the trail. Makes sense. Um, and voluntary disappearances. Hmm. Okay, yeah, that one took me a minute, too. I was, like, wait, wait what? It, we're talking about someone unaliving themselves. The Gabby Petito's murder of them all. Well, that and someone that's like, that takes their own, that wanders off into the woods themselves. He did. He went on into Oh, the yeah, him. Yeah, the, the, the boyfriend. Yes, exactly, exactly. So those sure. factors like that would like exclude somebody from... Sure. Yeah. Um, so per policy, so this is going to come up throughout um, the stories that I'm going to cover. Per policy, the FBI does not investigate missing persons. However, through his reporting, David found that the FBI has been investigating similar cases all the way back to the 1960s. What? So it's one of those things where it's like, per policy, the FBI, like, states publicly, 
We do not look for missing people. That is not what we do. That's not our gig. So, but then, okay. They're there to investigate, but it's more like we're here to get to the bottom of like more nitty gritty things. Okay. Like that's for like localities. Like if you go missing, that's for like your local police to go find you. Right. Uh-huh. Through his reporting, David like kept finding like FBI involvement in these cases, even though publicly the FBI is like, we don't do that. Um, That's aliens. <laughs> so it's like he's seeing all these consistencies. That's and then crazy. he's. And then that's one of the consistencies that he's seeing is, like, a consistent FBI presence. That's really creepy. Right. So the first um, the first missing 401 case that I'm going to talk about is uh, Audrey Kaplan. Okay. So 75-year-old Audrey Ka- Kaplan lived with her husband in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Audrey was in excellent shape for her age and was known to enjoy being outdoors. On July 30th, 2014, they both decided to go looking for mushrooms at a popular popular foraging spot nearby. They hiked up a trail into an area of wilderness and somehow became separated. Audrey's husband immediately begins searching for her and soon enlists the help of local authorities. So during search efforts, scattered thunderstorms swept through the area, impeding searchers. For days, searchers scoured the mountain to no avail until one searcher, way off the primary search area, came across an unusual site. He found a rudimentary campsite that looked as if it had been destroyed. Upon approaching the site, the searcher found the body of Audrey Kaplan. She was found in a nearby creek in four to five inches of water, missing all of her clothing and shoes, and curled into the fetal position. She was found on August 4th, five days after she went missing. An autopsy was performed, and it was determined that while there was no specific evidence to indicate hypothermia, the circumstances, and lack of any fatal disease, supported cold exposure due to very low temperatures at night. It further states there were no injuries that caused or contributed to her death, and given that there is no report of the decedent's face being in the water when found, nor circumstances documented to support that it had been in the water, it is unlikely that drowning played a role. Hmm. Hmm. I wonder if she ate some of those shrooms and got a little... (laughs) And, like, set up camp for herself, though? You never know. Psychedelics is a powerful thing. <laughs> Girl, who are you telling? Who are you I could, telling? I could, I could see myself being like, you know, setting up and being like, I'm going to be a mushroom woman in the woods now, and here's my new house. Why do I have clothes on? <laughs> Fact. But for five days, though, that shit wears off after, like, six, eight hours. Well, true. And, like, how do you just forget, like, your whole life? Like, how do you just forget your whole life? <laughs> And they said that she was at, she was 75 years old and an avid outdoors person. So, like, she you're telling me, is. yeah, five days into it, she didn't know to, like, keep walking in a straight line until she, like, reaches the edge of a forest or, like, some kind of, like, survival, like, something. That's scary. And she's in an area that she knows, a popular area at that. That's freaky. Weird. Okay, so next. Uh, Charles McCuller was a 19-year-old aspiring photographer from Virginia. Hmm. In 1974, Charles, or Chuck, left his home state for an extended photography and hiking trip. He left behind his Volkswagen van in Virginia. With the help of hitchhiking and a bus riding tour, in January of 1975, Charles arrived in Eugene, Oregon. He stayed with a friend in the area for a few weeks before he left to Crater Lake National Park to take winter photos. Charles planned to return to his friend's house two days later. Several people in the Diamond Lake area claimed to have seen Charles before his disappearance. Diamond Lake is a 45-minute car ride from Crater Lake National Park. So at Crater Lake, it is believed Charles planned to hike along the North Road 
although five feet of snow was reported in the area for the past two weeks leading up to Charles's disappearance. Wow, that's a lot. That's a lot, yeah. So skiers at the time commented that the snow was so soft that even with skis, the snow went right up to their waists. Wow. So it's it's unknown at this time if Charles changed trails. Mm-hmm. When McCullough didn't return to his friend's house on February 1st, all law enforcement agencies in Eugene were notified that he was missing. The Oregon State Police put up posters and bus stations around Eugene in hopes for Charles's safe return. Law enforcement originally believed Charles changed his plans of hiking without telling anybody. The investigation for Charles McCullough came up with no leads. According to a letter written by someone close to Charles, dated March 15, 1976, sent to then-Senator William L. Scott, the FBI was no help. The Federal Bureau of Investigation on two occasions has indicated that it has no authority to enter cases of missing persons. You can imagine my surprise while in Oregon searching for clues. I picked up a newspaper and read that the FBI, as well as other federal agencies, were engaged in a missing search for a missing person, James Hoffa. To which the senator replies, the FBI has no authority to investigate missing persons unless there is evidence to indicate a kidnapping has taken place. Okay. So after months of air and ground searches, no signs of Charles McCullough were ever found. The sender of the letter also states, after returning home and reviewing the information contained in the police reports that we possess, plus maps of the areas searched and the intensity of these searches without finding any signs of equipment, we concluded that Charles was not the victim of foul weather, but rather a victim of foul play. Wow. So a year later, on October 13, 1976, two hikers from Texas made a wrong turn while traveling through the park. They end up in a remote part of the Sphagnum Bog area of (laughs) Crater Lake to a little desolate canyon. Upon arrival, the two hikers find an old, dirty backpack in the bog. They call the park rangers, and a day later, rangers search the area, ultimately coming across the remains of Charles McCuller dotted across Bybee Creek, 12 miles away from the trailhead. In the backpack, rangers find the key to a Volkswagen, later revealed to be Charles, the one left in Virginia. Uh, The FBI is then called to investigate, because now they're like, something's up. Yeah, it's crime, okay. (laughs) So Charles' remains were bizarre. His jeans were reportedly unbuttoned, and the belt had come undone. In his pants, investigators found broken off shin bones sticking straight up. Investigators also found foot bones in his socks, but most of his skeletal remains seemingly vanished, except for the crown of his skull, which was found 12 feet away. Charles's camera equipment had disappeared, along with his shirt, boots, and coat. Charles's pants were found sitting on a log, and all of his money was gone. It is believed Charles was experiencing hypothermia at this point. In some cases, victims take off their clothes because they feel too hot, but in reality, they're freezing to death. It's called paradoxical undressing. Wow. So many theories arise at this point. How did Charles travel 12 miles from his original location? The day Charles was reported missing, there was seven feet of snow that lined the ground. So it seems impossible that Charles traveled so much distance without skis or snowshoes. Many deem it impossible that even a snowmobile would be able to get through 2.6 meters of powdery snow, much less a, a person. Yeah. In 2016, Stephen McCullough wrote an article on his missing brother. In it, he theorizes an interesting conclusion. If only those broken off shin bones could have talked to us. What do you think they'd say? I bet they'd say something like this. I hitched a ride with this creepy guy who stole my camera equipment and money and shot me in the head. Then, on a clear day in the dead of winter, he hauled my body into the remotest part of Crater Lake, took my shirt and boots off, and set me on a log and left. 
figuring the animals would destroy the evidence by spring. And hey, I guess it worked because the cops ruled my death to be from natural causes. My dad doesn't buy it, though. How do his shin bones break in half? Like, this is the one that, like, apparently he was, like, melted. Like, it looked like he was just, like, hit with, like, a like a heat ray. Like, part of him was just, like, like a pool around, like, his, stin- his shin bones sticking straight up. And then, like, next to this, like, his pants are just, like, laying on a log. That's creepy. Right? Makes you, also, the first one that you were talking about, you said about um, hypothermia and people feel like they're warm and they take their clothes off. If that lady actually was hypothermic, maybe she did that. That's how she got naked. There are a lot of cases like this where someone will go missing and then, like, they, like, will be missing for years. And then, like, all of a sudden, like, their, like, shoes will, like, uh, like pop up on a trail and they're, like, perfectly placed on a stump and, like, they're not dirty. It's, like, years later. It looks like it, it's the day that, the like, they went missing and they're, like, purposefully like placed on like a boulder or like a stump and they're like just like sitting neatly like next to each other and still their person is nowhere to be found but all Mm -hmm. of a sudden like these shoes there was one like it was like a seven-year-old boy that went missing and these hikers like two years later found these shoes and it was like up a canyon they're like down on this trail and they're like what is all the way up there they're like do you see that and they had to like they had to like climb up this like mountain face and and they get up it and there's just like shoes that is so <laughs> weird, right? Like, how do you explain that? Aliens. Aliens. I mean, that's the only way. Glitch in the Matrix would be taking both. Like, there's no explanation for that other than a crime. If it would be a murder, like that would be something. But who would take the time? Right. And what gets me is just like I don't the like them popping up like the day it was just like the fact that the shoes will look as worn as like the day that they went missing like even though all this stuff is happening like who like what place how how where where were they (laughs) and the like you think about how many elements right if i put a pair of shoes outside like how many elements would sit there that they would be in the exact same spot let alone untarnished not soaking wet not nothing growing on them like weird I don't like that at all. And there's no way to explain it. Like, it's mind-boggling. It boggles the mind. <laughs> Aliens. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely a theory. It's definitely a theory. All right, so the next uh, case we're going to talk about is uh, four-year-old Martha Yacurio. So she's four years old at the time of her disappearance on March 19th, 1965, from Bedford County, Virginia, seven miles west of Lynchburg on Walnut Hollow Road in Boonesboro. Close. That's not far. Did you see it? Do you, are you noticing I tried to, like, do, like, Virginia ones? You're trying, or, to like, make, you're trying to make sure that I don't sleep at night. I get it. I mean, I'm trying to keep it relevant to, like, the area that we're in. Mm, sure. <laughs> um, you know what I right, don't so, find? Witchcraft murders in Virginia. <laughs> I'm sure there's plenty. Apple, good old Appalachia. Oh, I don't want to look. <laughs> All right, so at the time, uh, Martha's living with her grandparents, Mr. and Mrs. James Casey. Her parents live uh, in Washington, D.C. Okay. According to her grandparents, Martha wandered off from the family home at the time of her disappearance. Shortly after she disappeared, it snowed two inches. Twelve hours after she goes missing, Mrs. Casey calls the police and a search begins. Local sheriff Cundiff organizes search and rescue efforts and told searchers that Martha had a birth defect, making it very difficult for her to walk. 
Okay. But remember the like points of like the case. Like, do you see how many times it's like snowed? Yeah, that's why they're all snow so far. It's all freezing so far. Right. This one, she's got like a birth defect. Like, there's like something wrong with her. Um, she woods walking. Um. So he didn't. I don't think it. Ever, I don't know if it, it ever explicitly said in here beyond just like she has a birth defect that's making it difficult for her to walk. Okay. Um, so just before the search begins, Sheriff Cundiff notifies Governor Albertus S. Harrison and requests the National Guard. Sur- several canine teams from throughout the state also responded, as well as city people, police, fire, and local students all responded. Over 2,000 people in total over three days through rain, ice, and snow. So at this point, Sheriff Cundiff decides that with the re- unrelenting weather and the increasing unlikeliness of Martha's survival, he decides to halt search efforts until the weather subsides and they can locate Martha's remains. Why? He's got over 2,000 people looking. It's three days of ice, rain, and snow, and they're looking for a four-year-old with a birth defect that they still can't find. He's like, all right, we should probably just wait for the weather to clear up because there's, like, let's be real. Let's be real. Let's be real. Other, though, I would be losing my mind. Absolutely, but he's like, be so for real right now. He's like, be so for real right now. I suppose. (laughs) Um, So as of April 4th, search efforts had dwindled to 500 people, prompting Sheriff Cundiff to make a comment in the local paper inciting another 1,500 people to rejoin search efforts the next day. So April 5th, with 2,000 people again searching, a small group of 50 led by James Henry and Osby Fitzgerald came across the body of Martha Yacurio. So she was half a mile from her grandparents' cabin and was found face down in two inches of water in a nearby creek. Searchers were stunned at the discovery, and when asked by the local paper, Sheriff Cundiff stated, I don't know how we could have missed her. Like, it was in an area combed over. And she was in, like, a a creek where it's, like, you're walking along, like, the path, like, uh, (laughs) like, the hiking trail. You would look over, like, there's the creek. She was just, like, in the creek. I'll tell you something after this, but I, I see, I can see both sides. Um, so the area she was found in was searched dozens of times by volunteers and professionals alike. The initial autopsy reported an inconclusive cause of death. However, no foul play was suspected. The next day, April 6th, the autopsy was updated to show Martha had died of exposure to the elements and drowning. Mm, that's so sad. Right? Yeah. I told you about my roommate in college. One of my roommates in college. Yes. And they searched, like, he literally was not even a mile away from the college. I mean, he was like, you could have thrown a rock at where he was. They searched all of that area, all of that area, all of that area. And then he ended up being there years later. It was like- But didn't you say that there was like a theory that he was then placed there like after the fact? Yep. Yep. Or (sighs) it was trigger warning. He was hanging and nobody looked up. He was that high up. Or they were looking on the ground when they were searching and he was hanging from a tree. You know what I mean? Or it's like oversight, right? Like if I would go looking for my house for something, I probably looked at it a hundred times. But if you can my house looking for something, you might be like, right the fuck here it is. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So You're not wrong. I would just wonder how many people were looking at the creek that had been there a million times. 
you're not wrong but what's weird is how it's like that's a consistency the body though too you know what i mean like i get that i would be like yeah (laughs) but the fact that so many times like this happens where it's like we comb through an area and then like some time passes and then oop they pop up and then it's like it and then there's all these other profile points that like fit too like it's just it's just weird i i I fully agree with what you're saying like there's probably there's many cases of these and uh, trust me, we're going to bring this full circle. Go ahead. We're going to bring it full circle. All right, well, so the next case, do I? A serial killer, right? If they knew you had already searched there and you weren't going to go back there to search, maybe they would dump a body there because you've already searched there. Like, that I could understand, too. Facts, facts. You're not wrong. All right, so the next uh, case I'm going to talk about is three, three-year-old John Doe. So in two, uh, 2010, near Mount Shasta, California, a three-year-old boy, we'll call him Jane Do- or John Doe, excuse me, for the story, went missing while camping with his family on the banks of a large creek. At approximately 6 p.m., John disappeared. The parents searched for their son for hours before contacting local authorities, as well as the United States Forest Service. Five hours after John went missing, he was found in a thicket directly next to a trail the searchers had been using. So three weeks after the disappearance, John Doe's grandmother says her grandson told her that he didn't like his other grandma, Cappy. So the boys found alive. They like they find him. Like oh. he was just he was just missing for five hours. And when they find him, it's like they were walking up and down this pathway. They were walking up and down this hiking trail for five hours looking for this boy. Like basically this one stretch. They were like, we know he's here, right? Okay. And then like on like f- like the fiftieth pass back through, like he's just like sitting in a bush. What? And they're like, what? So then like three weeks go by and he's hanging out with his grandma and he can't stop talking about his other grandma, Cappy. He calls his grandma, Grandma Cappy. And he's like, I really don't like other grandma, Cappy. And his grandma's like, what are you talking about? Is this a real person, the other grandma? We, she did, grandma Cappy doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. Okay. She's, he, little boy's just like, I really don't like other grandma, Cappy. And he's okay. like, She's like, who's other grandma Cappy? Right. Like that would creep that would creep me out. Heck yeah. So when pressed, he said, Don't you remember when I was lost in the woods? The other grandma Cappy grabbed me and took me to a creepy place. She's actually a robot. It was a big cave with spiders and there was purses filled with guns. I was too scared, so I didn't touch anything. But when she climbed a big ladder, the light made her look like a robot. There were other robots, too, but they didn't move. She made me lay down to look at my tummy. Then she tried to get me to poop on sticky paper, but I couldn't go. She told me that I'm from outer space, and then they put me in my mommy's tummy. Then she took me back to the river and said to wait under the bush until someone found me. Tell me this is from Reddit. Um, This sounds like a Reddit if I ever did hear one. No, this is a missing 411 case. What in the world? Yeah. So he further. This is one of. This is like one of the more prolific ones because this yeah. one like gets a lot of attention for like what is this other grandma Cappy? It could be and interpreted he, as a lot of things. Yeah. It could be interpreted as an alien. It could be interpreted as a Sasquatch. It could be interpreted as a, an actual like did, did a robot come and take him? That is, is a hologram. That's beyond weird. So he further states she had your same hair, your feet, and even your face. This terrified the grandmother, but based on his description of the sparkling light emanating from this strange woman, it was her understanding that the boy had encountered hologram. 
So everything that like the boy is telling the grandmother, the grandmother was like, she's like, she's seen an episode of Star Trek. She's like, that sounds like a hologram if I've ever heard one. Also, what are we doing with sticky paper? What what the hell is sticky paper? That one, that is so intriguing to me of all of it, is that, like, they what? wanted a poop sample. On sticky so, They were like, let's try and get a stool sample from this kid. That is so wild to me. And, like, <laughs> to, to really go there, in all these, like, alien abduction, quote-unquote, stories we hear, they're invasive. They're not trying to be yeah. like, oh, can you please give us a pee sample? Can you please like, give us some blood? They just take yeah. it from you. So the fact that they were like, hey, do you have to go? <laughs> <laughs> no? Okay, that's good. It's good. It's okay. You can try again later. Get it again. <laughs> <laughs> we'll try again in like 20 minutes. Like, try that's again. funny to me. Yeah. They were just like, no harm, no foul. Um, so horrified. Grandma's terrified. She calls the boy's dad and her son. Her son. Um, and she's like, what's going on? And he's like, oh yeah, no, I just heard that story the other day. Like, we're, we're just go, we're just gonna let him tell it. Like, it's no big. Like, dad didn't pay it any mind. He was just like, oh yeah, no, I heard that. He said the, the same thing to me. The fact that people always are like, oh, kids say the weirdest things, but where did they find it from? Where'd they get it from? Because kids can't just, their imaginations are only so vast. Like, <laughs> where do you Yeah. Think? Like, where do you get that from? When he's coming up with a full narrative like this and like descriptors of like, oh, looked like my grandma, but not quite like my grandma. And then took me to this place where there was all this stuff describing all this stuff. And then we did this and then we did that. And then they took me to the place where I was found. I don't believe any of that. Like, I, yeah, I don't believe kids just make up that vast of a story. And through the eyes of a child, like, like that like you know what I mean he's like oh well the robot and oh there was sticky paper that I had to poop on and like oh there were other robots but those robots didn't move like (laughs) it's weird what did he actually see like what was it he went into a cave with aliens I think yeah um so the boy's grandmother fully admits that she would not have paid any mind to the story had it not been for a strange occurrence she herself experienced just a year prior to the disappearance oh so she claims she was camping with a friend in the same area when she awoke one morning face down in the dirt outside of her tent, having been removed from her sleeping bag. What? She had a small puncture wound on the back of her head and noted that she felt violently ill that morning and strangely emotionless. No way. She thought she thought she had just been bitten by a spider. She was Which, pro- It's like still equally terrible. Like if that happened to me and I thought it was a, because of a bug bite. This is the grandma who he went back to. Yes. Okay. <laughs> and so apparently she, like, wouldn't think twice of it if, like, she did not experience this. Have you, so, ever, have you ever looked into, like, abduction cases or whatever, and they, like, live their whole life then, the rest of their life, that they feel like they get abducted more than once? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Have you ever heard of a 40 and back? Yes. Those are... <laughs> whole thing on that but yeah those blow my mind i wonder if they took him on accident the second time mind maybe (laughs) i don't like that i don't like it um okay so her friend that she was camping with at the time was um was not removed from his camper um however he also woke with a similar puncture wound on the back of his head and like also was not feeling well 
But like, thank God he woke up. He also had a puncture wound because if I was the only one affected, if I was the only one with a puncture wound feeling weird in the back of my head, I'd be like, what did you do to me? Friend. Mm -mm. Friend. Mm -mm. (laughs) Um, So the night before this incident, both recall seeing red eyes shining through the trees in the light of their flashlights. At the time, though, they assumed that they were just deer. Deer don't have red eyes. What's wrong with people? What are you talking about? Right? And that's 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 that one. Oh my god. I hate Isn't it. That one Wait, I, and after the not deer episode, is that a yeah. crossover? Was it the not deer? Just chilling watching? No. What is that? That movie that just came out on Netflix or whatever, the um Julia Roberts one. Oh, um You know what I'm talking about, right? And the deer in that movie? Yeah, uh Leave the World Behind. Yes stupid it was stupid it kind of was the only part about it like if deer started acting like that i would off myself i'd be done out of oh yeah yeah. (laughs) i mean narratively the movie itself was dumb taken as like a warning of like what could possibly happen that movie was terrifying for sure and i would never want to live my life like that like no ever i would be the first person to be like where is it happening i'm going there <laughs> honest <laughs> to god take me out yes first thing <laughs> like let you fly right into me <laughs> come get me that's okay. how I'm alive <laughs> all right so next one we're going to talk about is dennis martin okay So six-year-old Dennis Martin is on an annual family camping trip with his older brother, Douglas, his father, William, or Bill, and his grandfather, Clyde, in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park on Friday, June 13th, 1969. So the trip was part of an annual... Oh, my God, excuse me. (coughs) I'm dying. (coughs) We'll have to edit that out. All right. The trip was part of an annual family reunion type of event with members of the extended Martin family meeting up together in the park to hike to nearby Spence Field. Dennis was special needs with an educational delay of about six months and weighed about 55 pounds, but was said to be adventurous and to enjoy the outdoors with his family. Why do they um, have- however, he was not known to wander off. Why do they all have special needs? Well, because it's like part of the profile is like really sad. Some of them, sometimes they'll, like, have all of their capabilities, but they'll, like, twist and fall and, like, hurt themselves on, like, the hiking trip, and then, like, then they go missing. And it's, like, I would be pissed if a fucking twisted ankle took me out. Seriously. Like, I wasn't on alien radar, but then all of a sudden, like, I, like, get, like, a paper cut or something, and they're, like, get him! I would literally, that's horrible. (laughs) All right, so on the night of their arrival, Clyde would befriend another family of Martins. Completely unrelated. So this is what's weird. Completely unrelated to any of the other Martins within the park. Because remember, this is a Martin family reunion at the National Park. Like, happens every year. All these Martins, like, descend on, like, the National Park. Yeah. They They meet another family. And their last name is Martin. But they're not related, like, at all. Okay. You know, the people that (laughs) believe in coincidences, love them some coincidences. Um, All right, so Carter Martin and his two sons, those are the unrelated Martins that they meet. Uh, Clyde invited the new Martin trio to stay with his family in the Russell Field Shelter, a tin roof cabin with chain link walls. So very much looks just like a storage area, honestly, because there's like, I saw like a picture of it. The next morning, both families headed out towards Spence Field, where they intended to set up camp. 
Later in the day, after arriving at Spence Field, the boys concocted a plan to hide behind uh, the tree line in order to jump out and scare all of the adults. Fearing that Dennis would be spotted in his bright red shirt, the three older boys directed him to go down a longer path. So once the older boys were in position, they leapt from their hiding spots and su- successfully scared the unsuspecting adults. But once all of like the excitement died down, the older crowd noticed that like Dennis was nowhere to be found. Oh, that would be horrible. Right? So they're like, oh my god, yeah, you got us! Wait, where's your younger brother? Mm. Terrible, right? So Bill, his father, immediately begins searching for his son, walking up and down the trail while yelling. It's around 4 to 4.30 in the afternoon when Dennis first goes missing. Bill returns to the group from the trail, and it's at this time that Clyde, his grandfather, starts a nine-mile hike to the nearest ranger station near Cades Cove. Upon his arrival, Clyde notifies park ranger Larry Nielsen, who immediately notifies his supervisors. Uh, the Martin family and near and numerous park rangers canvass the area searching the nearby woods and asking hikers if they've seen anything. That night, a thunderstorm sweeps over the park, dropping 2.5 inches of rain, muddying trails, and destroying any scent that might be picked up by search dogs. Oh, that's horrible. Right? So by June 15th, the largest search in the history of the National Park Service had begun. You can make an entire video on the documentation of this search effort. Spence Field becomes a search headquarters and is even used as a temporary heliport at one point. Like, they're literally using it to land helicopters. Wow. So at its peak, the search included over 1,400 professional and volunteer searchers, uh, even Green Berets. Wow. June 17th, a set of footprints are found on a trail near West Prong. They match the shoe brand in Oxford and size that Dennis was wearing at the time of his disappearance and also indicated that he's only wearing one shoe. Hmm. So by June 18th, the FBI is also searching for Dennis. Why? 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 I thought you didn't do that, guys. (laughs) Exactly. The investigation (laughs) continued until June 29th when investigators were forced to ask themselves, what are we doing here? It's, again, one of those, like, they're not finding anything. They're out in the elements. It's 1,400 people deep, day in, day out. So no evidence of any kind. They float the idea of stopping the full investigation and leaving only three of their best rangers on to continue the search. They're like, we're not going to stop. But we're we gonna, can't keep we're up this pace. What we're doing. Yeah. We're going to just lay it back a little. <laughs> we're going to dial it back. So at the instant, at the insistence of, and leaving, oh, oh no, at the insistence of Mr. Martin, it was also strongly encouraged that investigators heed psychic warnings and a number of predictions commissioned by Mr. Martin are included in the official NPS report. Yeah. So looking into these predictions did not yield any answers, and most of them were vague at best. So the okay. So what were (laughs) what? So the FBI is using psychics at the dad's insistence. The dad is like, I have all these psychic predictions. You need to listen to them, and you need to investigate them. And the FBI was like, Fine, fine, fine. We will. And. And they didn't find, they didn't yield anything. Or they didn't yield anything from it. Because right, did they, they really look into them? Seriously, because we're like, mm, you know, but if you don't believe in that sort of thing, you just like shut it out. We'll get to it, don't worry. <laughs> so at this time, all major search efforts stop with three rangers continuing small search efforts until the fall. Okay. 
So over 13,000 man, hour, man hours and 200 flight hours were used during the search for Dennis Martin. That's why, like, literally there's documentaries just about looking for this kid. That's crazy. Yeah. The Martin family offers a $5,000 reward for any information leading to their son. Uh, that reward is still good. Dennis Martin remains missing to this day. Do you know of any, like, uh, well, I mean, I could look it up, Do you, but did you watch any of the documentaries? Um, no, just that, like, there's 13,000 hours of logged man hours that are, like, documented of, like... Okay. Um... <laughs> So this case has a lot of like weirdness surrounding it, and that's just putting it lightly. Clearly. Why did the why did the Green Berets get involved? Park Rangers noted that they were the only searchers to do so armed. Um, they acted very militant. Duh, they're the Green Berets, um, <laughs> but they were the only search party to act on their own. What they acted on their own and they did it armed. Why? Because you're, you know about aliens. Cause what do you know that we don't know? Um, and then why did the FBI get involved? Supposedly, there was a singular FBI agent tracking similar cases to the Dennis Martin disappearance who has since committed suicide. No way. So there was, like, one FBI agent who, like, had been tracking cases very similar to Dennis Martin for years. And, like, a couple years after the Dennis Martin case... He kills himself. Yikes. Because he took it upon himself to... What did you do? What'd you do? <laughs> right. So I can't talk about Dennis Martin without talking about the Key family. Okay. K-E-Y. So shortly after Dennis's disappearance, the father of a family nearby the campsite claimed to have heard a scream and then saw a bear-like man or a man-like bear. Question mark? Dog man? <laughs> You're not wrong. Um, carrying what looked like a small human over his shoulder. Right? What? So these claims were not taken seriously by investigators at the time of the search efforts. And when Mr. Martin found out, he was not happy. Um, yeah. So this was the start of the tensions between Mr. Martin and the law enforcement. And what ultimately led him to seeking out the psychics when the, when the search efforts halted. Because why wouldn't you? So he found out, like, when they halted the search efforts is when he found out about this, like, this report of this guy, this family making of, like, something carrying off a small child. And the investigators were like, cool, we're not going to look into that. Because they already know what it is. And they're going to have to men in black mind blow you and clink, clink and tell you a new story. That's why. So this is where we get to my answer. For, okay. all of, for all of this. So when asked about the man bear. Mm -hmm. Bear man? Yeah. Park ranger Dwight McCarter. Who was part of the search. Stated there are quote unquote. Wild men in the park. So they are hairy and filthy. And wear the skin of dead animals. They live deep in the national parks. And survive off of the land. With no contact with people. He claimed to, the, to know the location of one such a quote-unquote wild man, but that he was not active near the location where Dennis went missing. So, you have hills have eyes, people, in your national park. Do you remember that episode of American Horror Stories? Yes. And 
you're telling me that those aren't the first people that you go to question about like shit in their own woods apparently so apparently i've looked into this it is like if you work for the national parks for, as a park ranger within the parks for any amount of time like it is it's just like something that is known within the system that like there are wild people living in the parks and they completely live off of the land and are like essentially off and they're wild people Okay, I can understand off-grid people, but people who are described as wild, I feel like it should be watched on a regular basis. I think they are. I think oh. they're monitored by the park system. How come they didn't go there first? I think that's, that's exactly what he's saying. He's like, no, I know that we have wild people in here, but like where Dennis went missing, we don't have any active over there. Hmm. Maybe they were hungry. Maybe. <laughs> But Maybe. Yeah, yeah. All right. Oh, no, they didn't find him. They've never found him. It's probably because they ate him. Yeah. I'm saying, I'm saying, you can, uh, if you're if you're a wild person, you could do a lot with that five thousand dollars reward. I'm. <laughs> how much does a park ranger make? Because <laughs> probably a lot. I would think a lot. I bet. All right. So, I had to save this for the end, but I have to do my due diligence because you know, you know me. And I can't just, like, if I'm going to tell a creepypasta or I'm going to put something out there that's not entirely true, I'm going to tell you. Now, all of this, all of the stuff that I told you is true, right? But I do need to make a certain disclaimer. And I'm going to make, I'm going to jump into that now. And it's going to answer some of these questions. Okay. So while David Politis' body of work is certainly compelling, I do want to note that correlation does not equal causation. Mm-hmm. So commonalities between these cases does not mean that a common reason for the disappearances is, is, is at hand, right? So information taken from a restricted sample group are bound to show similarities. Sure. So I'm taking from just like a certain, like I'm bound to see a common, a, a thorough thread if I look hard enough for it in any sure. selected group. Yep. So what is more likely is that people simply go missing in wilderness areas and there is no mysterious force behind these events. This is further reinforced by the fact that Politis will not say what it is he believes this great underlying force is. We're 10 books into him and 1400 cases and he's Just saying that there's this great force taking people and there's something behind it all. But then you won't tell us what it is that you even think it is. But you have no problem telling us all these cases. But the FBI would probably go in there and boom, 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 you know, because <laughs> he knows. <laughs> right. So Politis cites being near a body, body of water, foraging, and weather events surrounding disappearances as indicators of missing 411 phenomena, but doesn't bother providing simple explanations for these factors. Bodies of water are popular for outdoor activity, making it more likely that people go, gather around and go missing near them. People foraging for berries or mushrooms are very likely to go missing. Uh, off trail, which leads to them getting lost. Um, and storms do often hamper search efforts that would have otherwise been successful. So a lot of the cases collected and documented by David have been mis misrepresented to fit within his missing 411 profile. Mm. And then more recently, by his own admittance on his YouTube channel, Ooh. Guess where I'm going with this? David identifies as a content creator and that his work is purely for entertainment. Somebody's holding a gun to his head. Mic drop. He's like, no, this was all serious, mm. but I'm doing this for entertainment. Don't take anything I say seriously. For 10 whole books. 
sir? And everything you're saying is like presented as fact because these are real missing cases. These are real people that you can go look for this stuff. But again, keep in mind what I was saying. Certain things are excluded. Certain things are like to get them to fit within these missing 411. Did he just that? Did he just the release on his YouTube about it being content? Yeah, so um, I actually want to say that he was at like a uh, like a Comic Con UFO like panel. He was like on a panel and somebody like started pressing him on it, um, and then like that started like a snowball thing where then he created like a YouTube like he's had a YouTube channel for a while and like he would go on and like that's where his like that's where he primarily is like showcasing his cases like his he'll do like missing four one one episodes where he'll he'll do like three or four like n- like new found cases that he because he's still like presenting this stuff as like you know what I mean like. Yeah, because it's yeah. back. <laughs> um, and then so when pressed on it more recently, his stance has been like, whoa, 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 guys. Like, you can't come at me any type of way because, like, like he's trying to say that he's, like, um, what is it, like, Entertainment Tonight? You know what I mean? Where it's, like, it's, like, newsworthy stuff, mm-hmm. and it's not that it's not really happening, but it's mm-hmm. entertainment. It's for entertainment purposes. No, no, no. I don't like that at all. I don't like that at all. Right. So I couldn't, I couldn't, like present all of this stuff without like because he has he's gained a lot of attention and he has a lot of haters he has a lot of people like especially like people that are like personally affected by these cases like yeah because some of them some of them like i said are like easily explainable by just the circumstances of yeah and they don't want it to be like something that it's not like it is what it is and especially i'm sure there's a lot of religious beliefs upon some of those things too yeah like what if you like like what if yours was just one of the cases where it's pretty cut and dry and like your your like loved one just so happened to be found like a couple months later after they went missing and you know there's pretty cut and dry like evidence that they just like went missing and then they died and there's this guy out there like making like writing books about it and like making youtube videos and being like what actually happened here what went wrong and you know that like come on like like yeah you know what I mean? It's like you're exploiting on other people's pain. You you are. That so crazy. I I couldn't I couldn't present all that without, you know, giving my mm-hmm. the counterpoint to it. So I wanted to um give some speculation here. Just because it's fun, right? I mean, I do think that there is something to there is still something to it. I do agree with the like correlation is not causation, but I do think that like what there's got to be something going on right yeah like the fact that it all overlays like so neatly well yeah and like well especially the story with like the grandma and the son right regardless of all of his findings himself right like the both of them having unnatural circumstances happen to them in a very short time frame with the same thing in the back of their neck like Mm -hmm. How do you, how do you recreate something like that? Well, and then another weird factor that I don't think I mentioned anywhere in my opening thing is like in his research, like obviously like early on, David went to the national park, the system service NPS and was like, give me access to the database of the missing people or the people that have gone missing in national parks. And they were like, it doesn't exist. And he was like, what do you mean? And they do, there is no, they, there's no record Nobody's of, watching. People, of people that go missing in national parks. And when, and so he did a, um, a FOIA, a Freedom of Information Act on them, and was like, no, like, 
I, give me this information. And, like, it should be public knowledge of these people going missing in national parks. And even the FOIA, like, response was, it doesn't exist. And if we were to put it together, they were like, we can, we can put it together and we can, like, give you, we can, like, put this database together for you. It would cost 10, it was like, it's like $10.4 million. That's wild. So it's like, the fact that, like, then there seems to be, like, an organized effort to, like, you know what I mean? Like, not provide information. Also kind of, like, can't help you but, like, raise an eyebrow. Yeah. Um, so something that I wanted to talk about is Sylvan Dread. Okay. Um, so Sylvan comes from the Latin word for woods or forest. Okay. And so Sylvan Dread is like that sense of, I, I think everybody knows it, but they don't, they, they never probably heard that term for it. Have you ever been in the woods and felt like you're like not quite alone? Of course. It's, it's, Syl- it's called Sylvan Dread. So um, I, I heard this story once of this person who they did like um, excursions a lot, right? They, so they would go on like hikes and it was one of those like, you know, the, you, you know what I'm talking about? Like, the, the get out and explore ones where it's, like, kind of, like, anybody can sign up for it and they're, like, regular, yeah. like, hikes. And so she was going on these, like, regular hikes and it was kind of, like, a, it's pretty much a different group every time. There were some core people, but the majority of people would, like, cycle through. And she was on this. So she was, like, doing this for a while and she's, like, on this one hike. Definitely not her, like, first one. And she, like, got this, like, sense of, like, there is, like, something off on this one right like there is like something I'm like something's up right and so they like stopped at this like little like watering area I want to say that I heard this story on Monsters Among Us and so they stop at this little like waterfall creek thing and she like is like looking at this waterfall and she sees this like glowing like aura out of like the corner of her eye right and then so she like turns and she's able to actually and then like she can't see it she can only see it when she's like not focusing on it so like it's like in her periphery so she like starts to like try to like like intentionally like watch it through her periphery and she notices that she like can if she doesn't look like directly at it and then she starts noticing that like where it stands like she knows starts then noticing it throughout the rest of the afternoon and she notices that like as they're like walking along the trail like it would be like standing in like the middle of the trail right and everybody else in the group would like unconsciously navigate around it uh, would like move around it and she's clearly seeing like in like she's seeing something and then she's like seeing other people like unintentionally not interact with it right wow. so then like she finds she comes to find out like a couple weeks later that like that hike that she was on one of the other people had, like, just been arrested for, like, murdering his wife and kids. What? And, like, that was the only time that she had, like, experienced that on, like, in, like, her entire hiking career. But, like, I think that's so interesting to me. Like, that one facet of, like, was there something in the woods that she was able to perceive that, like, like everybody else... And I think about, like, how many times are you just, like, walking around and, like, you, like, do you just, like, walk past something that you don't even know is, like, right there? Wild. So, you're probably, like, what the fuck does that have to do with missing 411? But, like... Yeah, but, I mean, it's still, like, something, an occurrence. Something that we can't perceive in the woods that then we're, like, unconsciously somehow, like, still aware of. Mm-hmm. 
terrifying, terrifying. Um, the other thing that I think is really interesting is, and I think I heard this theory on um, Belief Hole, but that the woods are a brain. Yes. Or so, like, like there's so much life in one space that it's like a giant. It yep. basically like operates like a giant brain. And when you look at how like a brain works with like the neurons and like yep. information being passed from like mm-hmm. one thing to another, like, is that not like how like an ecosystem when you like zoom out on like a forest or like woods? Sure. Um, and so does this like confluence of energy in like one localized area, does it allow certain things to manifest yeah. or does it even allow something to step through? That's crazy. Um, so then this leads me to an, like an interdimensional entity, Mm -hmm. which I'm going to get into like more in depth in later episodes, um, a re-recording of, you already know where I'm going with that because it'll be a re-record of an episode that you've already had to endure. Um, So as related to grounding, Mm -hmm. right. What do you know? So tell me just like surface level, what do you, what like grounding? Give me like a witchy grounding lesson. You mean feeling grounded, like people take their um, shoes off or their socks off and feel the earth to be like connected with whatever is, you know, whatever you're trying to, um, or coming down from like a higher space to where you'd feel like you're not like with everything and you need to calm or collect yourself. Like a lot of people will do, um, like a lot of, um, a lot of uh, medium, psychic readers, tarot people often will have a tarot table that has a wooden bottom instead of a metal bottom because they feel like nature brings you back down. Yes, thank you so much. That was perfectly explained. <laughs> and I love that you said bare feet. Yes. Okay, so keep in mind everything that I just said about the woods being a brain, Okay. a confluence of energy, possibly allowing something to tap through mm-hmm. and us unconsciously being aware of something, right? Yeah. Is there a connection between our bare feet on forest floor and some entity or some thought process having more power over us that way? Think about all these cases where their shoes were taken off. Yeah, a lot of people feel like that. So if this entity is using, or any entity, or this like thought, this like whatever, is using natural portals that we are within within forest areas, do we need to be grounded mm-hmm. in touch with it to complete a circuit in order for it to work? I can understand that. Is that why people take their shoes off? Well, and you also think about also think about being in the woods, right? A lot of people believe in the Fae. There's a lot of Celtic religion that believe in the Fae. And one of the biggest things that the Fae do, if if you piss them off, is they will take things from you, which mm-hmm. you use. Yeah, so that's another theory, too, is, is the Fae. Yeah. But I wanted to, so, on the theory of completing a circuit, which is, like, what may unlock this thing, like, fully having, like, a thrall over you or a portal opening. Mm-hmm. People sometimes, also, I want to point out portal a lot of times when people like hear the word portal, they think of like a Star Trek, like something ripping open, like right in front of you. And it's like a physical and you can like see into like you look into it and it's like a window into like another space. Right. What do you mean? That's not what they are. (laughs) Think about like something opening in you. Yeah. Something opening in you. You could do a new thought, a new. Yeah. You could do that dream when you prolific dream. Thank you. Exactly. All right. So um, this is a series of comments that I stumbled across on Reddit through my through my research. Right. So this is one comment. So a 
A few months back, an avid hiker posted a story about an incident on his hike where he became disoriented and his feet began to feel very irritated. He sat down to take off his shoes and then realized it wasn't right, kept them on, and frantically hiked back to his car. So somebody responded to that and said, I read that story too. He said his feet felt like they were on fire. He stopped to check his feet and noticed that the, the woods were dead silent and he felt like he was being watched. He booked it back to his car like he was being chased. And then somebody responded to that comment and said, it almost sounds like a high resistance situation. His feet were the point of resistance, so they heated up. Oh, wow. So is that like what's, is that like, was he able to fight off what the, all these other people, is that what the snowball is? Because he kept his shoes on. You start feeling like a little like, ooh, what is, like my feet are on fire. Like, ooh, what is that? And then you take your shoes off and then all of a sudden you're locked into the woods. That's wild. So um, our other, our other theories to just wrap it all up, obviously the wild men, like the, the, the park ranger straight up said like, yeah, no, there's wild men in the woods. Mm -hmm. So that's a, that's a definitely an explanation for people going missing. Bigfoot, mm -hmm. of course. Sasquatch. Who doesn't love a good Bigfoot? Yeah. Aliens. Mm, for sure. If they're just taking you up into, into a, into a, a spaceship sucking you off into another dimension, like, and then dropping you back off, like, a couple years later. Pooping on sticky paper. <laughs> so then I have one more possible theory that I'm going to expand on later. Okay. In my next episode. Okay. Um, and I'm just going to tease it now. So my next episode, I'm going to talk about the back rooms. Do you know what the back rooms are? Mm -mm. Oh my god, it's so exciting! Um... <laughs> I don't want to spoil it, so stay tuned. Okay, well, that was a great one. Did you like that one? That was mind-bending. I told you. I want to read one of these guys, one of this guy's books. I want Some to. of the older ones are expensive. Um, like I said, yeah, there are 10. There are 10 books out, so. But yeah, it is, I would say, just like take it with a grain of salt because it's one of those things where it's like he is definitely presenting information to you from... A point of view if that makes sense yeah understood but yeah definitely very interesting that was a really good one i like thanks that it makes thanks. me feel frightened that i'm surrounded by woods but <laughs> i know like we're like right in appalachia territory but like it's fine it, we'll be fine that's a good one thanks awesome well, so well, don't forget to like subscribe yeah. leave a comment leave a review um, we'll be back again next week with one of my episodes. Yeah, we'll see you next week. Thank you guys so much for listening. Bye, guys. Bye. Mm, that was a really good one. It's still recording. Isn't it supposed to be? Well, I hit stop recording and it's still recording. I mean, you just drop it up. I know, but it would be easier if I could split it so that oh, I don't have yeah. to, you know what I mean? Like, know where the episode ends. You know what I mean? And start another one. Yeah, because um, I'm going to go to the bathroom real quick, too. You have your other episode queued up? Yep, I'm ready whenever you are. Did you have banter? Mm, no, but I mean, I'm sure we can come up with something. I have a stirring my cauldron, but I need to look in my notes. I just forget what it is. So I'll just do you want, I'll just call you when I'm ready. Sounds good. Okay, bye. Bye, bye. A Semi-Charmed Kind of Podcast is hosted by Ashley Williams and Kyle Yugis. Music credits by Chauncey Fortune and art by Decay Decor. Keep listening and keep it cryptid. Yeah.
Still live without you. 